Go ahead and turn to John chapter 9 this morning. John chapter 9. Sometimes I, I, I like having the scripture up on the wall because it helps us to see and to focus and to read along. But I never want to discourage um, reading along in your own Bible. Um, I think it's just so important that we have those uh, with us and be able to, uh, I don't know, there's just something about um, getting that revelation as it's sitting there. And then I, I have that again that I can open up and, and bring remembrance out of that or, or make a note in the margin kind of thing to remember uh, what the Lord's spoken. So I always want to encourage everybody to bring their Bibles on Sunday morning and uh, use the screen as, a, as an extra. But anyway, John chapter 9, uh, title of the message this morning, one that uh, comes from a familiar song, was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. John chapter 9, kind of a lengthy uh, portion of scripture here this morning, so I'm going to skip around maybe a little bit. But beginning of verse 1 says this, As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Hmm, interesting question. Uh, One that a lot of his disciples were thinking about. And it kind of reveals what the prevailing thought, the prevailing theology of the day uh, was really all about. It's the theology of crime and punishment, if you will. Uh, It's been around forever. Uh, What I mean is that this theology says that if something bad happens to a person, well, then they must have done something to deserve it. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I wonder what I did to deserve this, right? It's it's kind of, I don't know, just one of those reasonable things that we come up with ourselves. But is it biblical? Is it, does, when something bad happens, does it mean that God is punishing us for something? Even in the book of Job, uh, you know all that Job went through. When he is suffering uh, greatly with the loss of his family, the loss of of his wealth, the loss of his his physical health. He's in pain. He's suffering day by day. And that's that's what his so-called friends offer him. You know, well, Job, you you must have some some deep, dark sin in your life. And as soon as you confess that and and forsake it, then, you know, but um, interesting enough that at the end of the book, God says of those same friends that they, quote, did not speak of me what is right. As a matter of fact, in the beginning of the book, God calls Job, and I'll quote this. These are the words of God, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So by God's own testimony, was Job being punished for sin? No. And yet he suffered greatly. There's a number of reasons for suffering. One is that we just plain live in a fallen world, right? 
where there is sickness and storms and fires and earthquakes and accidents. Uh, And the biggest of all, human beings with a free will that do all kinds of things, right? It's a result of sin in general that brought all those things into the world. Before that, there was peace and harmony in the garden and sin destroyed all that. So it's it is kind of connected to sin, but it's not necessarily connected to personal sin. Bad things happen in a fallen world. It's just the way it is. The second reason that we suffer uh, a lot of times is due to natural consequences. Okay, Uh, a a person gives into their anger. Next thing you know, they're in jail because they've done something horrendous. Right. Um, Somebody gives into their hormones and they end up losing their family. Right. Their marriage crumbles, etc. Remember the parable of the prodigal son. Okay, here's the prodigal son, leaves home, wants the bright lights, wants to, to chase the fast life. And what happens? He ends up in the pig pen. It's a common story, isn't it? So the suffering that comes is just merely, a lot of times, natural consequences of our decisions and our actions. Uh, but here also, Jesus reveals another reason for this particular man. Verse 3 Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Hmm. That's an interesting reason. Now, first of all, we have to, I think, distinguish between uh, what I'm going to call causation and allowance. God doesn't cause everything. Okay, the the simplest example is God didn't make me clap my hands, right? God doesn't cause everything. God doesn't cause your car to go out of control and and have an accident. He doesn't cause your flat tire. He doesn't cause uh, an evil person to attack another person. God is not the cause of everything, right? But God does allow things. Um. And again, stuff happens in in a fallen world and God allows it. Uh, God allows, quite frankly, some things that I question personally, uh, like my mother's cancer. You know, if you if you knew my mom, she was the sweetest, most humble woman. uh, (laughs) and, And I'm sure everybody knows somebody like that. But I'm thinking, you know, what? Why? Why did God allow her cancer? Why did he allow her to, to pass away uh, of some, I don't get it, right? Um, but I know that his ways are higher than mine. And when I look at the cross of Jesus, I see undeniably the love of God for human beings. I, I, I see, you know, him going to the absolute extreme to show how much he cares for me, uh, an undeserving sinner who was who was his enemy at one point in time, right? And he loved me enough while I was a sinner, the Bible says, to die for me. So when I see that kind of love, um, 
I say, okay, you know, I don't get why he allowed what he, what he did, but I, I just have to trust him. I just have to trust him. I know he loves me. I know he wants what's best. I can't see with his eyes. I don't see how this situation affects this one, who affects this one, affects this one into the future and all kinds of things. I don't have his perspective. All I have is my little, you know, blinders on, uh, kind of thing. So that's when we just have to dig in and say, God is good and I'm going to trust him. As Job said, though he slay me, will I trust him? Right? So that's what I believe is the case here. God didn't cause this little baby to be blind. This was not God smiting him. Because even Jesus says it was, you know, it was not his parents' sin. It was not his sin. God was not punishing this child with blindness. But he did allow it for a purpose. Now think about it. Uh, We don't have Eric with us here this morning. Um, but being blind for many years is not a piece of cake. I'm amazed at what that guy can do. I really am. Um, but it, it can't be easy. It can't be easy, especially for someone like him who had sight at one time and then to lose it. But here is this man, um, blind from birth, and he's surviving by begging on the street. That's his life. Alms for the poor, alms for the blind, right? Begging on, that's how he exists. Not an easy time. Yet think of this time in history for a moment. From the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, there was a promise given. God gave a promise of a Messiah who would come. One who would appear on the scene and change everything, right? And so from the time of the garden until this, especially um, in, in the Jews who, who got the revelation of God, who had the prophets, who spoke more of this coming one, generation after generation, year after year, century after century, they've been waiting for him to come. Right? This promise. And now he's there. He is on the scene. I mean, just this incredible, you know, no wonder when we, when we look at Christmas and the angels singing, you know, glory to God in the highest. This is such an occasion. It's time. It's, it's, ah, right? So there they are in this day, in this time. Jesus is there. And now, this man, this man has the incredible privilege of helping to reveal him to the world. Right? Through this miracle, this blind man, whose life previously had not amounted to much, as the world sees, though he's incredibly valuable to God, all of a sudden this man has an opportunity to do what few have done, was to reveal Jesus Christ to the world in a big way. And not only in that day, but everywhere the Bible has gone, 
This man has helped to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ to the world. So when you look at the big picture, it doesn't look so bad, does it? And how many other, quote, bad things has God used to reveal his glory as he's displayed his power, his love, his faithfulness? How many things in our life have you and I gone through, have we walked through difficulties where God revealed himself to us, his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we wouldn't have seen if everything was just rosy all the time, right? How many life-changing ministries have sprung up out of tragedy? I told you about the one gal uh, that we had come and minister in our church in Ohio, um, horrible, horrible abuse as a child. And uh, now she has a, a ministry to people who have been abused, helping them to find healing and grace in Jesus Christ. And it's just amazing. Um, how many remember that song, His Eye is on the Sparrow? And I know he's watching me. You know, the the story behind that song, right? This um, young lady, a, a product of um, uh, tender ears, product of a relationship that was forced. Uh, let's put it that way, if you catch my drift. Um, yet allowed to be brought into the world, and uh, God used her to touch hearts and lives. How many remember the, the song, It Is Well With My Soul? You heard that song about the man who lost everything in a fire, uh, sent his family back to England, his wife and his four daughters. While they were there, the ship goes down and only his wife survives. And so he sails afterward because um, he stayed in the States. He sails afterward, goes over that same spot where his four daughters perished and he writes, it is well with my soul. How many people have been brought out of the depths of their own grief and loss and been uplifted by that song, born of tragedy? Right? Not to say that we don't grieve with this man, right? Not to say that we don't compassionately understand the loss and the tragedy and the hurts and the pains that some of these folks have gone through. But as these broken pieces are put into the Lord's hands, he has used them mightily. And as the book of Revelation assures us, he will one day wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. So then, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, Jesus said, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus went on to say, verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming 
when no one can work. A Bible teacher by the name of Jack Kelly on his website, uh, gracethroughfaith.com, shed some light on this verse. He wrote this. He said, Jesus was speaking about his time of ministry on earth, calling it day, and the end of that ministry was near. The light of the world was about to be taken from the world. It was night, the hour of his enemy, when no one could work. Okay, so what's Jesus talking about? Um, he, he can't be revealed, right? He's, he's, he's arrested. He's, he's going to be tried. He's going to be put on the cross. And during that season, the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out yet. So no one is, is going to be able to do anything. We, we, we have to do things while we have the chance, right? And I think that kind of speaks to us in our day. While we have the freedom to share the Lord with people, we need, we need to work while it's day. Amen. Verse five, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay. Uh, Verse six, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, can you believe this? He spits on the ground. Jesus is kind of unorthodox sometimes, isn't he? Never does the same thing twice or, or rarely, right? Um, yeah, I think that kind of shows us that when we're looking for the Lord to move and work in our lives, we kind of need to expand, uh, let him do things his way. I'm, I'm very good at saying, okay, Lord, I got this figured out. All you have to do is this and this and this and this and this, right? He just kind of shakes his head. Um, but he has ways to accomplish things and do things that are just way off the grid. Who, who, who would have thought that he, you know, would do something like this? So he says to the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. You ever notice how many times in the Bible Jesus gave people the opportunity to act on their faith? Notice that. Go wash in the pool. Rise, take up your mat, then walk. Go show yourself to the priest, right? He said that to the lepers, the one, the, the priest was the one who could declare them healed and, and restore them because lepers had to be ostracized. They had to be away from the general populace. But if they, you know, got healed, they could show themselves the priest. The priest could declare them clean and restore them back to their family, restore them back to the community. And interesting that it's when someone was willing to trust him and act upon his word, that is when we see the healing being manifest. Right? Rise, take up your mind, and immediately, you know. As the man believed his word, the guy went and washed, right? Did what Jesus said, came back seeing. There's an interesting principle to tuck away. Acting upon his word, and that's when the miracle happens. Verse 8. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? 
And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Now I'm going to skip down for time's sake here. Again, it's a pretty lengthy uh, portion of scripture. But basically what happens is this. They bring this uh, miracle receiving man to the Pharisees. And uh, when they found out that um, Jesus not only healed him, but told him to go and wash, uh, but he did it on the Sabbath when you're not supposed to work. So a lot of them said, whoop, okay, this isn't of God because he, you know, he broke the Sabbath, right? So they're going back and forth between themselves. It's like, but, but you know, he made the man, the blind man see and the crowd's going back and forth and some are believing and some are not believing. And then somebody says, well, I see this isn't really the, even the guy. He just looks like him, right? So all of this Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Verse 24, he says, So for the second time they called the man, this is the Pharisees, who had been blind, and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. And the man answers, he says, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You ever wonder where Amazing Grace got those words from? This is it. I love that. Though I was blind, now I see. One thing I know, he says. You know, people get so hung up, I think, at times on sharing their faith with other people. They think that if if I'm going to witness to somebody, if I'm going to share Jesus with somebody, I got to have some kind of seminary degree and know the answers to all the questions, right? Look at this guy, how he gives his witness, gives his testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, one thing I know, though I was blind, and now I see. Why do we have to complicate it? All I know is this. My life was going in this direction, and I had no peace in my heart, right? And then I asked Jesus to be my Savior, and and everything's different. Um, um, I I have peace that I didn't have before. I, I have a presence in my life that, that I didn't know before. I feel like I'm personally connected to God. I'm, I'm happier. I, he's gotten me through this. He's gotten me through that, right? That doesn't take a seminary degree. And if somebody asks you a question, say, hey, gee, I don't know. You know, all I know is that it's made a tremendous difference in my life. That's all God's calling us to do. And maybe if someone has a good question and we want to take it to the pastor or, or look it up in the word or, or whatever and, and give them an answer, you know, down the road or whatever. But don't let um, a, a lack of all this knowledge keep you from sharing your faith with someone else. You, you know what you know. Right. And that's all that's required. I, I once was blind, but now I see. So they question him again, and he explains how Jesus healed him. And they say, we we, we don't even know where this guy comes from. In verse 30, the man answers the Pharisees, and he says, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You see the anointing fall on him? 
He went from, all I know is I was blind and now I see, right? And now you see the wisdom of God begin to come upon him as he's testifying, right? That's the Holy Spirit's job, okay? He's just, he's just making himself available, and all of a sudden, it, it, it's kind of reminiscent of Stephen in the book of Acts, right? Where, where, where the Holy Spirit comes on, he begins to, to speak with wisdom. So here, this guy as well, God's upon him, using him. So if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so they answer him, the Pharisees, you were born in utter sin and you teach us. Right. So they're they're holding to that philosophy, too. Uh, You were born blind, so you must have been in utter sin. So they cast him out. Okay, you're you're barred from the synagogue. You're you're you know, you're ostracized. You're um, excommunicated, if you will. and that, that was a bad thing back then, to be excommunicated, uh, as, as it was in the uh, early days of the Catholic Church. If you were excommunicated, you were condemned, you were damned for eternity. And uh, so verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, excommunicated, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. He may have been excommunicated from uh, the Pharisaical Judaism, but he was not excommunicated from the family of God. Amen. Then verse 39, Jesus says this, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. They profess to see. They profess to understand They had made up their minds of who Jesus was. And they sealed their own fate, right? But the blind man, on the other hand, who was blind, saw the truth. So not only did this blind man get healed and become a believer in Jesus Christ and all that comes from that. But through his experience, Jesus also teaches an important lesson. That he, Jesus, is God's plumb line. That he, Jesus, is God's litmus test. When all is said and done, the only question that will matter in our lives is what did we do with Jesus Christ? What did we do with Jesus Christ? Are our eyes open to embrace him as Savior, or do we reject him, blinded by our own self-righteousness, our self-will, peer pressure, false religion, etc., etc., etc.? 
When it comes down to it, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. What have we done with Jesus Christ? Is he Savior? Is he Lord? Or is he not? That's going to be the question. So let's ask that question this morning. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see that he is the only way of salvation? Do you see that he is God in the flesh revealing truth to us? Do you see in his words and his actions and his death on the cross that you and I are hopeless sinners, unable to save ourselves, but that he came to reconcile us to God? And that his death and resurrection, he justifies us, not by our own works, but by faith in him. And so seeing, then, have you made him Savior and Lord? Personally made him your Savior and Lord. If not, I want to give you that chance in a moment. But if so, do you know what that means? It means not only is your eternity set with God, right? But as Savior and as Lord, that also means that he can take the parts of your life, like the blind man, and use them mightily for his purposes. Not just the good stuff. But the hurts, the pain, the suffering, the grief, the wounds from the past, he can take those things and make something awesome out of them. Something that's going to uh, not only bring healing into your own life, but something that he can use to reveal his glory to somebody else. Because that's who Jesus is. All of those things. Sometimes we want to we want to distance ourselves from them. We want to shut them behind a locked door in the past and say I can't can't go there. I just just, you know. But if we offer those things to our savior, he can use them. For his glory. He can use them to bless the life of someone else, to reveal himself. And isn't that what it's all about? Jesus being revealed to someone else so that they can come into a relationship with him too, right? So, do you see this morning, our awesome Savior. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for teaching. Thank you for healing. Thank you for doing all that you did, Lord, to reveal yourself to our hearts. Thank you for the people that you sent our way. Lord, to share the truth with us. Thank you for 
the Billy Grahams and the person down the street or the person in the next cubicle or that friend that got saved before us or that person that invited us to church. However it went, Lord. It was always your desire for us to be reconciled with God through you. We thank you for that blessing and that privilege. And let me ask this morning, have you made him personally? Not Christianity, not churchianity. Have you made Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life? If not, I invite you to open your heart to him even in this moment. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Thank you for, for, for taking my sin to the cross so that I could be made righteous by faith in you, be reconciled to God, and know you and walk with you. Thank you, Lord. I open that door of my heart and I let you in. I give you my sin. Please be my Savior and my Lord. And I thank you for it. And if you've made that decision today, welcome to the family of God. If you've made that decision in the past, as our heads are bowed, what are the hurts? What are the wounds? What are the broken pieces of your life that are tucked away behind that locked door? Would you open that door to him and say, Lord, here it is. Here are the broken pieces of my life. Like the blind man, Lord, I offer myself to you. Use me. Take these pieces and use them for your glory. Heal my heart. Heal my, my mind. And let me know, Lord, what you would have me do with my story to someone else. Lead me for your purposes and your praise. I thank you, and I give you the glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I want to share a, a video this morning. I contemplated uh, singing this myself. I thought, you know, let's let the uh, original uh, writers sing this via video this morning. And uh, it's uh, going to be a blessing to you. I, I, I'm sure you know the song. It's not in the hymnal, but I'm, it's an oldie. It's an oldie goldie. So I will let Alex bring that up this morning. <laughs> 